Mark Inc. Ministries presents the preaching and teaching of Dr. Chuck F. Betters in Bear, Delaware. Visit markinc.org where you'll discover many free sermons and resources that will equip you to walk by faith and offer help and hope to the hurting. That's markinc.org at M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. You need to understand something about Jewish worship in the dispersion in the first century. Their synagogues were the town center. There were times in the worship service where they would read the law and the prophets and pray, but then they would have breaks. And during the breaks, it got real noisy. And so it was not unusual for an itinerant preacher to walk in and then to be invited to come forward and speak. And so somebody sent a word back to Paul and Barnabas who were sitting there. And they said, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Now that's exactly what Paul was waiting for, an invitation to speak. Paul's about to preach to this crowd. He's about to tell them a story. And when you look at the story, you almost have to hit yourself in the head and say, this is foolishness. This doesn't make any sense that God would do it this way. Standing up, it says in verse 16, he motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, those are the God-fearers, and perhaps the proselytes, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers and made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country and endured their conduct 40 years. He overthrew seven nations. It was out of Egypt he chose them. He exalted them. He led them forth. Then he goes on. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. He gave them judges. Now, it's interesting. After he talks about that, he says that the uh, God gave them, verse uh, 20, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. But you see, that's not what the story is all about, because we see in verse 22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. Now the ears in the synagogue perk up. The people were very familiar with the Davidic kingdom. Now he had hit a chord in their hearts when he spoke of David, the king, a man after God's own heart. And from David, from the line of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, not Benjamin, not the tribe of Benjamin where Saul came from, but from the line of Judah 
where David came because the prophecies all point to that and promise that from the line of Judah, the Messiah would come. Now, a thousand years of history at that point is skipped over in Paul's sermon. He tells us there, after removing Saul, he made David their king, verse 22. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. As he promised. You see, that's what this sermon's about. The promises of God. 1,000 years of dark history is glossed over. We go from David the king to Jesus the Messiah. You've got to understand that in the last 400 years prior to the coming of Jesus, that 400-year period, there was no voice of the prophets to be heard, no word or oracle from God, and Judaism as a formal institutionalized religion was birthed during that period. And the era into which Jesus came was an era of cold formality, religious indifference, and literal political slavery. It is into that context Jesus, the Messiah, comes as God promised. He chose them. He delivered them from Egypt. He exalted them. He put up with their shenanigans. He delivered them from seven enemies. He raised up the judges. He was the one who brought the fulfillment of all that the old pointed to in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's preaching. God has made you promises. He chose you. He nursed you. He disciplined you with Saul. He blessed you with David. And he gave you Jesus. You know what Peter would say about that? God delivered up Jesus by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now, when you look at verse 24, uh, verse 23, from this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, the greatest of all the Old Testament saints, according to the word of Jesus himself, not great so much because of his character, as glorious and, and wonderful as that was, but great in terms of its position. The greatest of all the Old Testament saints was the one who would announce this person you see coming in your midst. This one is the Messiah. This is the one God promised. This is all that the old points to right here, standing in front of us. All that the ceremonial law pointed to is right here. All that the prophets spoke of is right here. All that the kingship points to is right here. This is our prophet. This is our priest. This is our king. John would announce this. 
Jesus would say of John, there is none greater in the Old Testament than John the Baptist. But when it comes to the people of God in the new, even the least in that kingdom is greater than John. Does this boggle your mind? You understand what he's telling us here? You understand what he's, what he's preaching to you here? Can you see Paul standing up and preaching this message? He has now brought them through their whole history and brings them to the point of facing off with who Jesus Christ is. And that's the same dilemma you face today. Either he is and was who he said he is and was, or he's the greatest liar, hoax, and imposter who ever lived. He says there, to you, verse 26, he says in verse 26, brothers, children of Abraham. I love the way he says that. Why would he call them children of Abraham? Because it was to Abraham the promise was given. It was to one man that the promise was first given. Oh, certainly we have the promise given to, to Adam and Eve. We have the promise given to Noah. We have the promise uh, uh, typified and exemplified in Enoch. But it was to one man, one man, whom God chose out of all the men on the face of the earth. God chose Abraham, whose father Terah was a Namu worshiper. He says, I'm singling you out. It's to you and to your descendants after you. I am making a promise. I will make of you a great nation. Your name shall be great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. He promises his abiding presence to Abraham. He gives him that covenant, formalizes it in Genesis 15 by actually coming down from heaven himself and consuming the very legal terms of that sacrifice and says, upon my own head, the terms of this covenant will be fulfilled. So Hebrews 6 tells us. He says, children of Abraham. In other words, children of the promise. Do you understand you're linked with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you understand that the New Testament calls the church the Israel of God? Do you know that the same promises he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he now stands and gives to you? But he gives them to you from a different perspective. The different perspective is this. All that he promised Abraham in terms of the Messiah, we now can look back on and say it's happened. It's been accomplished. This is what Paul's doing. This is exactly what he's about to do. He's about to shift gears now. Now watch what he does. He says in verse uh, 26, children of Abraham, God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. In other words, it's a done deal. All that he promised has happened. The Messiah has come. Now he says the people of Jerusalem, whom Pisidian Antioch recognized as the governing body, so to speak, the spiritual leaders of their nation, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. You guys just stood up and read from the scriptures 
about certain promises God has made. Do you realize what you have just read has been fulfilled? The people in Jerusalem did not recognize him. And the very Bible they read, the very words they read from the scriptures, went in one ear and out the other. Standing right there in front of them was who Isaiah in chapter 53 spoke of. Standing right there in front of them was the person Jeremiah 31 speaks of. Standing right there in front of them was the very person that all the law and all the prophets and all the priests point to. Standing right there in front of them was the very one they read about on Sunday mornings. You say, man, that's awful. That's awful that people would miss that. You're missing it right now. Standing right here in front of you is the Messiah. Touching the hearts, convicting, challenging, changing. You know what's so beautiful about Paul's preaching? It's Bible-centered. You notice how often he quotes from the scriptures of the Old Testament? Do you notice that what he's holding out to them is not his opinions, but he's actually giving them the revealed word of God? Preaching is foolishness, but preaching that is rooted in the scriptures and in the revelation that God has given us, his Old and New Testaments, preaching that is rooted in God's word is the means by which people come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul would say in Romans 10. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He had already experienced that. He saw Sergius Paulus changed by the word of God. He saw people's lives already transformed by the dissemination of the word of God. So what's he going to do when he stands up to preach? He's going to preach the word of God. He's going to quote scripture. He's going to hold this book out in front of people. You know there's a safety in this. Do you realize the safety net that's in this? Preaching's fallible. Preachers make mistakes. We make mistakes all the time. Preaching and preachers are fallible, but this book is infallible. Now watch what he says here. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, ooh, he's talking about their heroes. They tried him, convicted him, and executed him illegally. Now when he spoke of David, their ears perked up. Oh yeah, David. But now he's talking about the rulers to whom, as dispersed Jews, they would honor back in Jerusalem. And Paul's saying, they had no reason to kill him. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Now remember what he's just told us. He chose them. He delivered them out of Egypt. He exalted them. He nursed them in the wilderness. He defeated their enemies. He gave them the judges. He gave them Samuel. He gave them the kings. He now gave them Jesus. All of it is centered on, God, on what God did. Do you think now we're going to come to the actual death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and throw it over to mere chance, fate, or mistake? 
You see what Paul's going to do here? He says in that next verse, when they had done everything that the Old Testament said would be done about him, when they had, verse 29, carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree. Notice he uses the word tree there because the Jews would remember the passage that says, cursed is he that dies on the tree and laid him in a tomb. Even his death on the cross was prophesied. They knew that. They knew that. You say, well, maybe they didn't know it. Well, Isaiah 53 told them it would happen. They read that every time they they got up in the synagogue. They would read Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant, the one who would come and die. There were prophecies about his burial, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. There were prophecies about how much he would be sold for, 30 pieces of silver. Uh, There were prophecies about what he would say on the cross in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There were prophecies about him thirsting on the cross. All the details, every single detail of his death, burial, and resurrection was prophesied. All of it was fulfilled to the iota, to the details, including who he would be crucified with including his burial plot in a rich man's tomb. All of those details were fulfilled. They read about this every time they came together. How could they miss it? How could they miss it? You know what's always intrigued me? We know the Romans did not execute Jesus. Oh yeah, physically they did. But nowhere does the blame lie, so to speak. Nowhere does scripture blame the Romans. It's always the Jews. Jesus dying on the cross is God. Do you believe that? He's dying on the cross as the son of God. And he prays a prayer. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His father never, ever denied him anything. You believe God answered that prayer and that the very people who executed him were forgiven? Is it possible that people who actually nailed him to the cross in their hatred and venom, that God could forgive such a lot as that? Is God that big? that he could be that small? Is God that awesome and wonderful that he could stoop to the lowest of the low and pick us up out of our own gutter of moral depravity and bring us to forgiveness and healing in Christ? Is that God, the God we serve? You know why he could do that? Because of the next verse. But God, but God, that ought, to, that ought to give you a clue. But God, but God, here's what man did, but God. You see, remember, Paul's preaching is not about what man does. It's about what God does. But God raised him from the dead. (laughs) And for many days, 40 of them in fact, he was seen 10 times as a matter of fact by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the gospel. That's what that next verse says. We tell you the, what are the next two words? 
Good news. Good news. Lowest of low sinners, most wicked and depraved, done more in your thought life than David ever did in his own life. Lowest of the low, spiritual scum of the earth, I've got good news for you. God is bigger than your sin. God is mightier than your evil. God is more gracious and more loving and more kind and more merciful than you could ever conceive in your heart because God is a God of grace and God is a God of glory who died, who was buried. But God raised him from the dead. And we're his witnesses. Anybody who has truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, you should be the first ones to stand up and say, it's true. It's true. I know what he's done because he did it for me. It's true. I know he saves because he saved me. I know he forgives because he's forgiven me. I know he forgives much because he's forgiven much in me. I know that God is holy. I know that God is love. I know that God is mercy. I know these attributes of God. I know them because I am his witness. I have experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Have you? You've been listening to Dr. Chuck F. Betters in this program brought to you by Mark Inc. Ministries, proclaiming the truth that God is sovereign and you can trust Him. Please visit us online at markinc.org to learn about other free sermons and resources.